Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Welcome everyone to the Hammer and Rails podcast. Back with your 1 and 0 Purdue football team. I am Andrew Ledman and I'm Casey Bartley and we are just psyched to be talking actual winning football this week uh purdue of course defeated the oregon state beavers uh on saturday actually they won by nine so more than one score which is kind of out of the realm of possibilities in the jeff brom era it seems like that's a cover Ledman. yeah that is a cover it was seven so uh if you if you bet purdue you uh you did well so we are going to cover, of course, the Oregon State football game. At the end of the podcast, we are going to look ahead to UConn. But before we get started, I do have a question for Casey, and I think it's very topical. Let's go! So you saw the picture of the Indiana football jersey that was... Indiana! Indiana! First of all, just complete and utter embarrassment at IU's behalf, and I love it. I love every second of it. I thought it was fake. Uh, when when I saw Megan Gailey, who is a comedian who went to Purdue, uh, she was the the tweet that I actually saw it on, and she was like, just to be clear, I went to Purdue. Um, <laughs> so I love that. But my question for you is, what is the most embarrassing typo or mistake that you've made that's gone public? Because this poor equipment manager is never going to live this down. That's gone public? Well, you know, public as far as I mean, I your... post wrong audio into our feed like last week yeah that is true and that is true that's not the first time that happened. probably won't be the last no definitely not i i do these things late at night or you do the hard work for the editing and then like just rush to get it uploaded and be like oh i'm done and then it usually ends poorly um i'm trying to think if there's any i don't i mean i'm not travis so like when i'm oh. typing on twitter it's usually fine taking taking there, shots at the only, boss when he can't even defend himself there's only so many so many things you can really screw up uh i mean i've definitely posted the wrong score or forgotten the score in like most of my basketball recaps. Yeah, I remember I remember once you did put the wrong score in a game. 
in a game we put, like in the title, and I was like, oh, that's not right. Yeah, I put the wrong score. I definitely just left out the score altogether. On a personal level, I wouldn't say I've ever had like a really bad typo, but I've definitely, uh, you know, if you're texting two people at once. Yeah. And, like, sometimes you just get, you're, like, half paying attention, you get the wrong box. Well, anytime you do a relatively new friend who is a tonic friend, and then, like, a love interest at the same time. Oh, yeah, that can't be good. And you switch one up where the reply also sounds somewhat, uh, like you are responding to the platonic friend, but it's in a tone that should not happen. Yeah. I did that, like, a year ago. That's dumb. So, the worst I can remember doing, and this is, so... I, I play words with friends still to this day, you know, um, and, you know, they've got a way for you to chat with the person you're playing. And I'm, I oh, always no. play with, and I always play with with friends or, or oh. family. And so, you know, these are people that I know. And this was my friend, um, Heather, who I went to Purdue with. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we worked together at Purdue Athletics and, you know, we've we've been friends since then. Shout out, Heather. Yeah, shout out to Heather. I don't know if she listens. I'm not <laughs> sure. Um, but we were. Um, we were playing and she was just destroying me. Like, I mean, I was down like a hundred some points. And so I went to the chat and I typed, you're kicking my ass, but somehow kicking, uh, the K, nope, the K turned into an L. Hmm. You're, no, (laughs) I got it. No, I got it. And I was like, and I, you know, wasn't paying attention, just hit send. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh my God. And I was like, no, 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 no. It's like, in, oh, in a no. game where you spell things. Right, exactly. So that made it even worse. Thought I was going to get kicked off of Words with Friends forever. Is L more valuable? No, K's got to be worth L, right? Yeah, K's worth more than L. Did you just tell her you ran out of K tiles? Yeah, that's what it was. I was like, so what happened was, but in, and in fairness to me, you know, K and L are literally right next to each other on a keyboard. So, look, I'm just trying to justify it, okay? For a second, when you started this story, I thought you were the guy that played words with friends with strangers, like, message. Oh, no. That was a way worse. No, 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 no. Way worse. That's that's something only a sociopath would do. So, all right, that's... I, it's, it's still neither of what we have done is worse than the poor equipment manager or could have been intern who knows who did it uh for the indonesia football team which is gonna lost. stick around lost yeah, they lost way. they lost which is gonna stick speaking around ever speaking of putting an l in a place it's oh! actually it's supposed to be yeah that's it's back to its natural state it's where it lives um so hopefully that picture will live forever, along with the the IU student who messed up on Wheel of Fortune. So we'll always have those two moments. So now we've got exciting stuff to talk about. I know you're always sad when we have to talk about football, but Purdue actually came out of Ross Aid Stadium uh, with a 30 to 21 win over the Oregon State Beavers. So they're now, of course, one and zero on the season. And uh, Casey, that means. Purdue is five wins away from you having to spend 24 hours at a Waffle House. How does that make you feel? I'm looking forward to it. Like, I hope I have the Waffle. I like Waffle. I mean, I like Waffles, too, but 24 hours. Ooh, I also boy. like Purdue winning. Well, yeah, it's like a it's a bonus. For, did you see the video? There was a fight at a Waffle House. Somebody posted on Twitter that's been blown up today. I did not. I yeah, did. Uh, you know, you never get a lot of context in these Waffle House fights, but there was a, a customer was yelling – and yelling at another customer, there was a woman like in the middle of the two trying to like break him up. And then out of nowhere, a Waffle House employee comes and grabs the guy that was yelling to like drag him out. And then he tries to fight the Waffle House employee and just gets like he didn't get like knocked out, but he got knocked to the ground uh, and then hopped back up. So hopefully we don't see you or Travis, you know, depending on the outcome of the season in one of those videos anytime soon. I mean, I can handle myself. <laughs> OK, <laughs> your scissor. 
Do they yeah. serve alcohol at Waffle House? <laughs> no. <laughs> unless unless there's some random Waffle House somewhere in the South that does. I was in uh, Atlanta over the weekend, and if there is a place, it's probably there. I probably should have checked think, beforehand. I think it's just the confluence of all the drinking people do beforehand and the fact that you go to Waffle House at 2 in the morning to get yourself some waffles. So uh, it, it can add to some combustible situations. Yeah, what to, if I'm the one that has to do it, should I just like really lean into it and go at midnight? <laughs> and just stay from mm-hmm. like midnight to 11.59, yeah. yes. There's not going to be anything else going on anyway. I, I, I feel like I need to suffer the, the Varsity Blues walk out of the strip club at oh, like nice, yes. 8, 9 in the morning with the sun coming up. And, yeah, when and they're like, like we got to play in three hours or whatever You can see the stench come off of you. That's, yeah. I feel like that's what I deserve for being I on this side of the bed. I think that's a plan. Yeah. All right, so back to back to important topics. So Purdue thirty one or thirty to twenty one win over Oregon State. It was actually a pretty good game. I mean, pretty entertaining. Um, I thought Purdue, you know, never really took control of the game. They were of course down early, seven um, zero after Oregon State threw some trickery in there. Um, but you know, from following the you know tying at seven seven seven. Purdue led the rest of the game, but it never truly felt comfortable. Um, you know, they went into halftime up 13 to seven. They had to settle for a couple of field goals after David Bell got mugged in the end zone and they didn't call it um, on one drive. And then there was the whole uh, fiasco with the two penalties getting ready for a, a field goal. I mean, you set up for a 33 yard field goal, your kicker makes it. But then you have a delay of game, I think it was. So then he's got to kick a 38-yarder. But then as they're setting up for that, we get a 15-yard, you know, coach on the field penalty, which – so now it's a 55-yarder, and we end up having to punt, I think, right? We punted that one. Yeah. It's it's inexcusable. It's not basketball where, you know, two points for a technical doesn't mean all that much. Points are too rare in football. You, you can't take them off, the, even if it's an awful call. They're not going to change it. They have no power to change it. Right, right. And – the uh, I should say everybody I think watching the game probably thought that penalty was on Jeff Brom, but the folks uh, in the Purdue radio booth actually said it was on the special teams coordinator. So it, you know, look, and he was standing right next to Brom when they cut to the cut to the sideline, and Brom looked rather upset with him. So it it is possible that the folks on the radio were right, but we don't always get all that info when we're watching on TV. So clearly, we he, needed another specialty. <laughs> Right. Special we need team a special teams co-co coordinators. Um, but speak, hey, speaking of three coordinators on defense, there were zero penalties on the defensive side of the ball for Purdue. That's good. So, oh. I mean, that's that's great. I I don't know that it has anything to do with having three coordinators, um, but you got to give all three of them credit, or maybe they deserve one third of the credit each. I think that is the part of this game you watch where you are taken away with some real optimism. We came we came into the game worried about Oregon State's run game. And we held Absolutely. them to 3.1 yards of carry. Uh, Baylor was shut down. Lowe was kept. And they pretty much had nothing consistent on the ground. There is a big caveat. First, I want to say our players played well. Our defensive line looked good. Carl Loftus was really, really good every time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in the first half, he was living in the backfield. He never wound up with a sack, but he had eight quarterback hurries, um, which I believe was tops in the nation for week one. And they, you could see that they were the Oregon State offense was game planning to get to the opposite side uh, of the field where he was. And if you can, I mean, if you can literally cut the field in half just with one guy who's so intimidating to you, that is a huge advantage for your defense. His speed is astounding. He nearly blew 
they ran a bootleg towards him one play, and he was there before the quarterback even turned his head. There were a couple plays where he got into the backfield so quick, he nearly he nearly tackled the third guy on a uh, jet sweep yeah. <laughs> by going through the quarterback. It is amazing how quick he can get to the backfield. There's a caveat to all of this. I, I don't like caveats. We were playing a team that had a quarterback who couldn't. Yeah, he was not good. I do not know how he won the starting job. I assume you're talking about Sam, Sam Neuer. Neuer. Yeah, Went the guy who start, start, started the game for Oregon State, transferred from Oregon, won the job in the offseason. Transferred from Colorado. Or Colorado, sorry. He was, uh, It'd be weird if he was from Oregon. Yeah, he was 10 of 21, 94 yards, uh, had an interception, 7.8 QBR rating. Not great. Um, no. He got yanked in the second half. For Chance Nolan, who is the third-string quarterback for Oregon State, their returning starter was injured coming into the right through the offseason. Neuer didn't really win the job. We saw why. He was supposed to be an athletic quarterback. He only had the one one run for negative five yards. Right. It's a lot easier to call defense and pressure and play defense when you don't have to worry about the quarterback beating. Uh, the one highlight play when the game was really close in the second half when Trice was a bat away that ball that would be a touchdown. Yeah, on, if a, that, on a fourth down, too. If that ball's not underthrown, I don't think Trice can catch up. No, no, because, I mean, he he was about a step behind his guy, but because it was underthrown, he was able to, you know, orient himself and throw up that arm uh, and just bat it to the ground. But if that had been a ball that was, you know, thrown about a yard in front of his man, his man would have been able to get that. Yeah, Trice made a great play track in the ball. Great job not committing a penalty. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's fast. He's big. Trice, you know, should be a really good corner. But he got bailed out by a, a lob of a throw that just didn't get to them. Yeah. And we saw as soon as, pretty much as soon as Nolan came in, a couple quick completions, uh, got the ball moving. Our defense didn't look nearly as stacked towards the end, or no. end, of, the, end of the game. No. And, and I mean, you can look at it just not based on, you know, the, the simplest of metrics. In the entire first half, they scored seven points. And as I said earlier, a lot of that was based on, you know, the kind of trick play that they ran. Uh, they got them – I don't can't remember if it got them the touchdown or just a big chunk of yards on that drive. Um, but once Chance Nolan got put in in the second half, they scored 14 points, and he didn't even play the entire second half. He got he got switched out toward the end of the third quarter. So in just the, the one quarter that he played, a uh, full quarter that he played, they scored 14 of their 21 points. Yeah, and there's no way, like, we are going to play better passing – Almost every game for the rest of the season, we'll, we'll touch oh, yeah, on. Almost. We'll, we'll touch on later. Even though I don't love him right there. Yeah. Uh, so you definitely have to be worried about that. You also have to be worried about our offense putting our defense in such bad position on the field. Uh, we gave them a lot of short fields. They should have scored a lot more. Good job by our defense. We look pretty good in the red zone. We look good at cutting them off in a short field, but we didn't help past not turning the ball over. Yeah, so the only thing I will say about the the offense is I agree there were definitely some bad possessions, but you know we scored 30 points and it easily could have and should have been more when you consider that um, David Bell, as I mentioned earlier, was just accosted in the end zone and did not get the uh, defensive pass interference uh, flag called. So if that would have happened, that would have probably led to seven seven points right there. We did have to settle for a field goal, so yeah, add four onto that, and then. There were two more plays uh, that stick out in my mind. One was the uh, the fake punt that Purdue did, Great which 
was yeah, I love the call. The it goes back to the aggressive Brom. You know, Brom spent all offseason talking about how he needed to be more aggressive on offense and defense. You know, that's how he's always found success. So that's what he needed to do. I mean, it was just a perfectly thrown ball, perfectly executed play. I thought Payne Durham had it, and then the defender just took it right out of his hands. So you you can't fault uh, Brom for for calling that play. The execution was there for everything except the very end of the play. So I don't think that was a bad call. The other one that a lot of people uh, have a problem with was the option uh, pitch when Purdue was down uh, near the goal line. So pitched it to I I can't remember if it was Horvath uh, or someone else. I believe King Daru was. Okay, it might have been, might have been. And and yes, you are right, because as Plummer went to pitch it, I mean, if, if Plummer makes the pitch, that's an easy touchdown. Uh, but he threw it kind of behind Doru. Doru had to kind of slow down and turn and try to get it, couldn't end up corralling it, and it went to the dirt. Um, and that caused some problems. So I think if they can just kind of fix the ex- execution on a couple things, I think the offense isn't going to have a problem. I don't agree with your summation, but not for the I believe the play calling was pretty good. We had some nice re- I I have two concerns. One is going to be beating a dead horse that we're going to talk about. The offensive line, which is bad. Yeah, yeah. And it looked really bad against a not good. I am terrified of playing the big- Yeah, you're not you're not wrong there. And I mean, it, even Notre Dame, you know, coming up in a couple weeks. That's that's going to be the first real test. Yeah, I am terrified of playing against a real defensive line with speed and size. It's going to get ugly. At least a few games. But more schematic-wise, you talked about David Bell, who was phenomenal. Eight catches, 134 yards, should have had a touchdown in the yeah. corner. At least get the ball at the goal line. Was incredible. Looked even faster than last year. His route running is as good as you're going to see in college football. You're about to say but. But. There it is. Do you know what receiver led the team in touches? Was it uh, was it uh, Durham? It was not. He's a tight end. Oh, well, yeah, but I mean... No, he, Durham had seven catches, so one less. Jackson Anthrop had nine nine touches, seven catches oh, okay. for a combined 39 yards. Um, here's my problem. Oregon State had nine tackles lost. We had nine plays where we lost. And a lot of them were those jet sweeps, handoffs. I know that we have to run these jets with some capacity because our line's bad, but Jackson Anthrop as a bubble screen guy ain't it. Yeah, I, it, I agree there. It just puts us in second and third and longs, and our offensive line cannot handle If you're going to scheme up ways to get the ball quickly, get it to David Bell. We know he can do it. We watched him do it to Rondell Moore 15 times a game last. Yeah. Jackson Anthrop does not. He provides a lot of intangibles. He's a solid choice to have on the field, but he should not be a focal point of the— So here's something I think they could look into to change that, and I don't know why they've they've not done it. We have on on the football team a guy who plays wide receiver who also runs track— and is one of the fastest ever to to run track at Purdue. Marcellus Moore, uh, granted he's on, I mean he's a littler guy. He's only five eight. He's one seventy, but he plays wide receiver. Um, and he again he ran like a six six nine sixty during track. Um, he's got a great speed over even two hundred meters. So I, I'm not sure why we're not using him in more of a gadget fashion like we would with. With Anthrop, you know, lining him up in different spots, perhaps he can't catch the ball. I don't know. Um, but, you know, you can find ways to put him in motion, give him a quick handoff and try to put him in space because he's going to be one of the fastest players on the field. And when you've got a talent like that, I think you need to find a way to use it. Yeah. Uh, more we've not really seen on the field much. It also right. sounds like TJ Sheffield. 
might be back for us next week. Yes, he, that's he is exactly to be back. the role that he is meant to play. He looked kind of like a smaller Rondell Moore in his high school tape. Uh, yeah, I, I maybe it is just Jackson was the one there. That's who we trusted. Yeah, but, I think a lot of it is trust. I mean, he's he's going into he's literally in his sixth year with the team, so I think there is a large amount of trust with Coach Brom and and Anthrop. Whether and I'm sure Coach Brom knows he's not the most athletic guy in the field, and he's not going to maybe break your play, break a play for you but he's probably not going to make mistakes. And sometimes that's what you're looking for. I get that, but I just don't trust our line or our offense be able to overcome second and nine, second and 11, third and third. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you've got a line like Purdue does, you need to be getting chunks of yardage. Um, you can't rely on, oh, it's third and 10, we'll be fine. You you need to get in third and short or not even get in third down, really. Yeah, I I legitimately don't know how to not just beat this just into the ground. I don't know how we survived this with the offensive play I saw or saw set. Yeah. I I understand what you're saying. The line is certainly a big question mark, but I think they can do just enough and I think they will improve as the year goes on. It's maybe maybe it'll be, you know, scheming a way to get better protection, but we saw that last year, the line actually did get better throughout the season, and that was through a shortened year with all the crazy stuff for COVID. So hopefully, given some time to look at the tape and figure out what they did well and what they uh, struggled with, we can find a way to get Plummer some more time in the backfield uh, and not have to run around like a like his head's on fire. So hopefully that will improve. Speaking of Jack Plummer, did he play well enough today that we shouldn't even know the name of Brown's backup throughout the year? I mean, I mean, I don't know about that, but he, he certainly played I, – I thought he played better than expected. 29 of 41, 313 yards, two TDs, no intercept. And also, there were multiple drops by his receivers, so he should be probably at about 32 or 33 out of 41. And under consistent duress, did a really good job of getting away from the worst of you know the pressures. Oregon State only had – the one sack, which is a miracle, an absolute, <laughs> just great job by Plummer reading the pocket, showing off his athleticism. I don't get the talk about him not having a good arm. I don't either. It's real lively, and he gets, he doesn't need much windup to get it 30, 40 yards down the field. Yeah, I mean, maybe he doesn't have the best arm of every quarterback on the team, but you're not going to have the best attribute in every single area. You know, that's why there was a quarterback competition. He's not Drew Brees walking out of the tunnel. You know, he's got things he can work on and improve upon, but he's certainly not a slouch. I just think arm strength gets too simplified because like you talk about Brees didn't have a big arm. No, Uh, he could unload it when he got under it. But Plummer is one of those really fluid throwers that on the run, like doesn't lose much on. He doesn't have a ton of zip on his ball, but he can get the ball all over. And I really like how quickly uh, there were a couple throwaways where it was impressive that he could just get it past. Yeah. Yeah. And again, with this type of offensive line, that's the kind of skill you might need. You might need to do have to, you know, make a split second decision, throw that, you know, throw that ball away real quick, get it past the line of scrimmage. So you don't take an intentional grounding. So that's a good skill for him to have. Brom cannot play a not mobile. Not, I mean, not unless the line improves dramatically. Dramatic. Yeah. So I want to at least point out two more things before we move on. So I got to give a lot of credit to Mitchell Feinran, uh, our new kicker. 
who came to Purdue. He was a transfer. He was three of three, live, three of three live. on extra points. His yeah, his long in the game was 48, and he made that with room to spare. So I once I saw him make that 48 yarder, I was kind of surprised that they did not try the 55 yarder earlier in the game um, because he he made that 48 yarder look easy. So if Purdue can have a consistent field goal kicker and you know even extra points is we've had some struggles with those in the past too. Um, you know, that, that's going to be huge for the team. Uh, one thing that I was not so impressed about was the punting. Um, Jack Ansel had five punts total of 185 yards. So that equals out to 37 yards a punt, which it not to great. me is not great. Especially when you look at the other side, Oregon state was averaging 48 yards. Um, and uh, I mean, 11 yards difference is, is a big difference. So, I, I hope, you know, he can maybe it was first game jitters for him. Maybe he just wasn't uh, wasn't ready or maybe there's someone else who can kind of breathe down his neck and put a little pressure on him. But Purdue needs to do a better job of turning over the field when they do have those offensive struggles and they will have offensive struggles. Yeah, um, it's really the sad part of Hazel years is it felt like our punter might have been our best player. for Oh, uh, he absolutely was. Yeah, but it does suck when you have a punter who, you know, we were kicking off. We had a lot of punts from inside our own 20, and those punts barely got to. Yeah, yeah. That's a game changer. You're not good enough. You don't want to put that much pressure on your defense. Um, right. I, I am looking through Finneran's college history of kicking. He's never actually made a 50-plus yard field goal okay. in a game. He was. He's only attempted two of them. Over. How long were they, does it say? It does not. Oh, it just says, like, 50-plus. All right, fair enough. Well, you know, I mean, whatever he's doing right now is working. Like I said, that 48 yarder looked good and it looks good from a lot further out. So having only missed one extra point. Hey, that's great. You know, you got to make the easy ones. Mm -hmm. Oh, and one other, one other player I want to mention, uh, a wide receiver, Brock Thompson. He only had one catch. He had one that was a catch, but got called back after Durham had that pick uh, called against him, but he looked good out there. He only had one catch for 17 yards. But when you throw in the other one with a penalty, I mean, that was a fairly long uh, reception. So hopefully he's just another guy we can add to the receiving core and we can trust to catch the ball. So the wide receiver position at Purdue continues to look pretty good. Yeah, he's a Marshall transfer. Uh, didn't play a ton over there, but definitely has some game-breaking ability, like his size. Uh, return putts. For he's definitely got some after-the-catch. Uh, yeah. We mentioned the DJ Sheffield thing. Him coming back would be really big for our offense. Yeah. If he yeah. can give a little bit of that yak and excitement, we're going to need guys. We're going to need those extra yards and big play. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just another guy. The, uh, the defense has to focus on other than David Bell. Focus on him all you want. You're not stopping him. Well, he right. ran a slant route and his quarterback got so thrown off by the fate. He ended up seven yards into the right. <laughs> off. It was David Bell's footwork is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. He is. He is pretty dang good. So, uh, do you have anything else on the Oregon State game? If not, we will take a break, come back, and talk about UConn. A win is a win. That's There you go. I'll take every one of them. So we will be right back to talk about next week's game against UConn. Okay, and we are back. So with Purdue looking at a 1-0 and record, looking to head to 2-0, and we think they have a pretty darn good chance because <laughs> of who they are playing next. They are playing UConn. And you may be saying to yourself, I know nothing about UConn football. Congratulations, you're with the majority of the country. They are terrible. So, 
I want to remind viewers, well, listeners, I guess, not viewers, that a few weeks back when we talked about the program and looking at the season as a whole, uh, I don't think Casey fully understood how bad nope. UConn was at football. Nope. <laughs> so, Casey, would you like to tell the listeners how UConn has done thus far this year? They've had two games, by the way. Purdue has only had one. They've had two. Much bigger body of work to look at. So take it away, Casey. Tell us how UConn has done. So going into this game, before we even get to win-loss or score, UConn is averaging 184 yards That's a pretty total. good defense. That's a pretty good defense. On offense. Oh, that's very bad then. They are, um, you know, pretty balanced. 123 of it in the air. 61 oh, well. of it on the ground. <laughs> Neither of those are good. No. Um, they have allowed 450. Good Lord. Game. Now, you might ask, Ledbid, this is a, you know, small football team. They probably played some juggernauts the first two weeks to, you know, get some money, boost up yeah, like exposure a, for like the football a, team, right? A, a bye game. So, Casey, who did they play these first two weeks? Fresno State. Respectable. You know, pretty good yeah, program yeah. out there. They'll take on anyone at any time. And they did. They took on UConn and won 42. Wasn't it 45 to nothing? 45 nothing. Yeah. A lot. Even worse. That's worse. Three points. Second team they play. Got to be another juggernaut, right? They play like Absolutely. Alabama, Clemson. The University of Holy Cross? <laughs> I, I think you might mean Holy Cross. Oh, holy cow. Not what you think of as a power football team. No. Didn't know they had a football program. I didn't either. And they lost by 10 points. Ugh. Yeah. Um, on the year, a very 29-65 for Jack Zergiitis, which is, I would say it's something you catch... In the winter, <laughs> except that's a 44% completion. Yeah, no one was catching anything. Uh, three TDs, three interceptions. That's Just, a, you never want a one-to-one ratio uh, on your you, touchdown you interception. You don't. Um, all, yeah, sack three times. I don't know what to say. It's it's Holy Cross and they lost. Yeah, and I mean, the, UConn is just bad. Um, and, and in fact, I believe it was yesterday... You know, they'd already lost for the week. They were, you know, going through their motions, getting ready for next week. Their coach put out a statement announcing that he is retiring. Uh, the coach is Randy Edsel. He has been there for 17 years, which I'm not sure how you survive as the head coach of a program like UConn for 17 years, short of no one cares about their football program because they have a men's basketball team that's won two national titles recently and a women's program who's one of the greatest ever. But, uh, yeah, he announced that after 17 years of service at the University of Connecticut as the head football coach, I've decided to retire at the end of the season. So I originally thought he was just going to announce that he was stepping down and Purdue was going to face some random coach we'd never heard of. So I'm actually glad he's staying to the end of the season because not that I think it would have made a huge difference, but if you throw in some random guy who you haven't prepared for, it it could make a difference. No, um, no. <laughs> No. Some historical perspective, UConn as a program, they didn't lose any games last year. That's because they didn't play last year. Indeed. You can't trick me. <laughs> uh, 2019, they were 2-10 two, two and ten with wins over Wagner and UMass. Not powerhouses. Lost to Illinois, Indiana, UCF, South Florida, Cincinnati, Temple. So this is not a good program. There's not talent. Anyone good, I'm assuming they didn't stick around at UConn last Just, we're 33-point favorites on the road. Why are we going to UConn? I have no idea. Yeah. Can the you explain well, this? I assume it's some sort of 
contract contract situation where they're going to come to us in like twenty forty five or something. <laughs> Do we get the basketball team? Because I don't want them coming. <laughs> you got to you got to think it's one of those like they beat Rhode it, Island in two thousand eighteen. Oh, great! I mean, that's just that year. so. so I, there is one thing I want to say about Randy Etzel. He's not been the coach there continuously for 17 years. He what? He's had – yeah. So his career is very strange. So from 1999 to 2010, he was the head coach at Connecticut. Then he went and became head coach at Maryland from 2011 to 2015. Then he came back Wait, he to Connecticut. Wait, he was the head coach at Maryland? He was the head football coach at Maryland huh. from 2011 to 2015. So that's why so many people might recognize his name. Um, but then in 2017, he went back to UConn. They beat Holy Cross. Well, you know. So this was a revenge game. <laughs> yeah, yeah we can wipe UConn, out that whole analysis. UConn and Holy Cross, classic rivals. Um, so if you remember, uh, in 2015, Etzel was actually uh, fired uh, from Maryland for a number of reasons. But there was some issue with the, the school's APR like they were losing scholarships um, because of, you know, bad academics. It was a whole like scandalous situation. He actually wound up with the the Detroit Lions for a year uh, before returning to UConn that as a coach. That is a stink you definitely. <laughs> the, the Detroit Lions? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, he's – it's not as if he's had a terrible career, but when you have to have two stints at UConn as the football coach, it's never a good idea. And uh, I think – you know, there is a possibility that – no, it couldn't be. I was thinking this possibility that um, this UConn game was put on the the uh, schedule because of our former favorite defensive coordinator, Bob Diaco, was their head coach. Don't you speak his name, Isle. I, I know. Uh, but I wondered if maybe it was one of those like, hey, you know, do a favor for the UConn athletic program. But it can't be because it was too recent. Um, but UConn, of course, is famous, famous for the traveling trophy, the civil conflict. You don't remember this? So <laughs> this was the rivalry between UConn and UCF that nobody wanted and nobody asked for. And Diaco just basically made a trophy for it and decided it was going to be a rivalry game. I would totally do that. if I. Oh, but it, Here's how he did. Here's what was listed as the conflict. So it was C-O-N capital F capital L for Florida, lowercase I capital C. Capital C, capital T for we're Connecticut. So that was uh, what they I don't what they were trying to text. happen. So you got wait. I can't believe you don't know this story because it's one of my favorite stories. No. So the trophy is just ugly. I mean, it's nothing. It's nothing fancy. It's just like a big. Uh, just Google it. You'll. It's hideous. It, it's fine. Whatever. That's not the point. It was the New York Post called it the worst rivalry in sports history. <laughs> And then during the 2017 meeting in Orlando, the trophy and the claimed rivalry continue to be the subject of ridicule. The whereabouts of the actual trophy are unknown. <laughs> so, so no one even cared enough to take care of the trophy. The former athletic director or the current athletic director of Connecticut says he never actually officially acknowledged the rivalry or the trophy and was asked about it in 2017 and said, I honestly don't know. That trophy was there before I got there. I believe that trophy was commissioned and paid for by Coach Diaco, and therefore, if it left with him, I don't know that. But if it did, that's fine. <laughs> the way I felt about Diaco leaving us. Well, yeah. But, like, could you imagine if the bucket went missing? And everyone's like, it's fine. It's fine. I don't know. You know, oh, 
it's it was one of the like biggest debacles of like trying to create a rivalry when it wasn't there. Oh man, I love this. This is UConn football. Yeah, so we don't think it's gonna be a. uh, I mean, it. God, it's it's Purdue football, so you never know. But we are looking for a win next weekend uh, against UConn. Is there anything? that we can actually say they stand out at Casey, anything you're looking at these stats and say, well, they might have a little something there player, any wide receiver, any running back question that's been. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. But we'll do a deep dive for Friday morning. Yeah. We will record another one of these this week where we actually give you a little more about UConn. And by that point, we'll also know uh, if there's any changes to produce roster. Brom did announce um, earlier today that there were no big injuries coming out of the Oregon state game. So, that is all green lights going forward. So that is uh, that is pretty great news because the injury bug, of course, has hit Purdue pretty hard recently. Um, so we look forward to a healthy team and the return of TJ Sheffield um, to the lineup at wide receiver next week. Now, we do have one more thing to do before we wrap up here. Um, we do try to usually end the show with a recommendation, and it is my turn this week. Uh, I know. I, I was waiting on you to <laughs> – Kind of realize what was going on. So the we we've done this one before, but I gotta I gotta say it. Season two of Ted Lasso. <laughs> watch it. Are you caught up on season two of Ted Lasso? Because you've been traveling. I am caught up. Two of caught the last three Fridays. Friday night. Okay. All right. So spoiler warning for anybody who has not watched season two of Ted Lasso. Because I gotta ask you, what did you think of the reveal of who Rebecca has been texting on oh, the app? Yeah. Oh, they did it again. I knew it. It's twice. I so it it calls back like immediately to the scene with uh, Sam and Rebecca. She thought he was hidden. Right, right. I love it because they obviously showed the scene with Ted. Yeah, as he was um, walking out to the pitch, and you're like, no, he wouldn't be doing that. But I, I mean, I don't know where it's gonna lead. It's not gonna be. Yeah, I'm very worried for the first meeting. Like, if they do meet in person, I'm afraid it's just gonna be like, oh, who are you here to meet? Who are you here to meet? And it's just going to be like, uh. So, yeah, I, I'm along for the ride. I don't, I mean, Rebecca, Rebecca is a very attractive woman. Yeah. I, she owns a football club. Right. She's got some money. Of course, you know, Sam is Sweetheart. a uh, yeah, nice guy. Made it to a Premier League uh, soccer club. So he's I doing something right in his life. So I don't know if they'll tie this together, but uh, I don't, I feel like in real life, if that happened, the tabloids for, oh, the player who stood up against and brought back up, which is weird. Yeah, haven't mentioned it. They just changed their, their kits. Is now they, with the owner, so is that why he was able to get away with that? Right, I don't know. That's right. going to be a drama line. It's, I mean, it's been a pretty drama for big scale of things, so I don't I don't know. Yeah, the only, so I, I'm very, very distraught with what's going on with Nate. I Predictable. Yeah, I mean, you could see it coming, but I just, it's like a slow descent into him being full of himself and a bit of a prick. And you're just like, oh no, you were so pure when the was show he? started. Yeah, when the show started, I mean, was he was he? So, like, he was very excited about his sports mix that he made for their, for their drinks. And he was getting picked on and wouldn't stand up for himself. And you're just like, oh, he, he really needs to be more assertive. And now think, you're like, I think there's a uh, difference between purity and beaten down. Yeah. Okay. All right. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. I just, I want good things for Nate, and I don't want him to turn into a, a, a jerk. And I don't want Ted to have to fire him. It might get ugly. Yeah, and it, especially with Beard following him around, like Beard knows what's going on, so he's going to be watching him. Yeah. Uh, things are definitely uh, kicking into high gear as the season ends. 
Yeah. So again, Ted Lasso, if you are not watching it already, Apple TV plus watch it. It's fantastic. And uh, that's going to do it for us. So make sure to rate, review, subscribe, like, comment, tweet, Facebook, everything about us. We're always looking, you know, we're always scrolling, looking for mentions just like Nate. So we would love to hear from you. Until next time, we'll see you. Barbecue.